Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Imagine if you could access every public service online. Imagine if this was supported with great social customer service. Where required, you could also make an appointment anytime with a real human. Imagine if you had access to your data to inform decision-making when interacting with any public service. In today's episode, I explore digital government and how and why this will transform your relationship with public services and how it will transform trust and engagement with our public sector. Coming up in the show, the benefits of digital transformation in government, six features of digital government, what countries are advanced when it comes to digitization of their public services, and I speak to Brian Chittister, Industry Vice President for Public Sector at Genesis and the host of the Government Huddle podcast. In today's column, I'm discussing the benefits of digital government. So what's in it for us as citizens and what's in it for the government and the public sector organization and its staff. But firstly, let's clarify what is digital government? What does it actually mean? Well, digital government services or e-government are defined as service delivery within government as well as between government and the public using information and communications technologies. There are tangible benefits for both public service and the public by embracing digitization. So let's start with the benefits for government. Scaling the delivery of service by leaning into automation provided by machine learning, which is a subset of artificial intelligence. You can also provide improved customer service by leveraging the insights from big data to identify pain points of the public and receiving that invaluable citizen feedback. This in turn should improve your communications. Technology gives leaders more time to be strategic as manual tasks are undertaken by apps, tools, and software. And then ultimately you're streamlining your services by moving to the cloud. Now let's move on to the advantages for the public. Well, for the public, a better public service means that they're going to be more responsive, more accessible, and more timely with their information. Access to our own data as citizens relating to our interactions with government gives us more empowerment when it comes to decision-making. And transparency of public services comes when you have a digitized government. It'll also provide a more customer-focused experience, meaning less trips to offices and waiting times on phones. And this will be replaced with fast loading websites where you can interact and access all the e-government services that you need. And then of course, access to information anytime, anywhere and on any device. And all of this for both the public and government and public sector enhances trust and transparency, the real currency in the digital age. So in my view, digital government makes sense for everyone and the shift to digital is definitely here to stay. 
Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. When it comes to digital government, what is best practice and what does it look like? Well, the OECD has come up with a digital government policy framework and six dimensions of a digital government. First of all, they say it's digital by design when govern and leveraging digital technologies to rethink and re-engineer public processes, simplifying procedures and creating new channels of communication and engagement with stakeholders. Secondly, they say that digital government is data-driven when they value data as a strategic asset and establishing the government's access sharing and reuse mechanisms for improved decision-making and service delivery. Thirdly, they say digital government acts as a platform when improving standards and service delivery. It also helps teams focus on user needs in public service design and delivery of those services. They also say that digital government is open by default, making government data and policymaking processes available to the public within the limits of existing legislation and in balance with national and public interest. Fifth, they say that digital government is user-driven when accords to a central role, so really leaning into people's needs, making it convenient for the people to access public services, and it shapes policies that are citizen-centered. And finally, they say that digital government is proactive, anticipating people's needs, responding to them rapidly, avoiding the need for cumbersome data and service delivery processes. So findings show that those governments that are digitally agile and that are digitizing public services have increased trust and are demonstrating great transparency to the public. So what countries are doing well? Well, the OCD has also provided the Digital Government Index, a study from 2019. And topping that list are Korea and the United Kingdom. Then we have Colombia, Denmark, Japan, Canada, Spain, and Israel. So if you want to find out where your country is sitting, make sure that you download this report and I'll link it in the blog post associated with this podcast. I also wanted to take a look at the Irish perspective. And our government here in Ireland have launched a report called Connecting Government 2030, a digital and ICT strategy for Ireland's public service. So this sets out their ambitions for digital government delivery within Ireland and benefiting both society and the broader economy. So they do have a, an eight-year plan, and this has already commenced, and we're seeing individual government departments in Ireland already developing their own digital transformation strategies. So as I said before, digital is here to stay, but now we must ramp up and certainly show great leadership when it comes to e-government. today's episode, I want to introduce you to our brand new knowledge product, and it's called Social Media Done For You. Think of it as like social media in a box. 
all the tools, strategies, and policies that you would need to implement great social media within your government or public sector agency. We've just released it on our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com, and you have lifetime access. And this includes any updates that I make to the resources. So what can you expect? Well, you have a template social media strategy. You have a range of social media policies. You have a 365-day inspiration calendar for social media. You also have checklists when it comes to hashtags, social and live video, auditing of your social platforms, and you also have template graphic designs that we have created in Canva, and all of these come with tutorial videos. So if you want our social media done for you product, go ahead, check it out on our website, and really, the price is amazing. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our Membership Academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Chittister. He's the Industry Vice President of Public Sector at Genesis, and the host of the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister podcast. Formerly, Brian has held global government strategy roles at OpenText, Apian, and S&P Global. He is currently a board member for the University of South Florida, Mama College of Business, and advisor to the G20 Global Smart Cities Alliance at the World Economic Forum, and a member of the Forbes Technology Council. And in our conversation, Brian really strips back all the technical language and makes it really easy to understand how and why digitization of government is critical right now. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Of course, thank you for having me. So listen, I came across your work on social, on Twitter, then on LinkedIn. And when I actually investigated further, you are steeped in this sector when it comes to digital transformation and the challenges affecting government and public sector. What are the biggest challenges that you're seeing right now in your work? So many, honestly. Um, one that people probably wouldn't expect because when you talk about digital transformation, people like to have a conversation around technology and, and obviously technology facilitates it. I think that the biggest challenge that governments are facing right now is the, the people. Right. And, it, and I don't just mean the people that they have, because that is obviously a challenge at any organization. It's the recruitment and the retention of top talent. You're competing with the private sector um, in an industry that is so fast paced. Right. Things are just changing so rapidly that being able to pull in the top talent that can facilitate and work with these emerging technologies is such a challenge. And then on top of that, like I mentioned, then you have the people in place. How do you with these people that have such a calling to public service, how do you support them to be to be effective, right? In the reskilling process and um, things like that. And then the change management aspect of people that have been there for so long with processes that are changing new technologies. So to me, it's it's really the people. And like I said, it's not something that often people that talk about it think about. They think technology first, but to me, I'm very much people first. And I think that's that's the biggest challenge that I see. And you know what? I've been having about three of these conversations already this week. 
So I'm in Ireland right now, but it's it's a global um phenomenon. We're going through the great resignation. The pandemic yeah. has reminded people that work is fluid. Um, you can be location agnostic, and it's now an employee's market to choose. And so you've started with that, and I'm gonna just continue with that for for a minute. And the three conversations that I had this week were exactly that, Joanne. We are finding it really difficult to attract talent into government and public sector. Is there anything that you're seeing out there that is, you know, giving the government and public sector the edge at the moment? Yes. So, and, and there's a couple things. First of all, great resignations happening. And I'm actually looking at it as the great reorganization, right? Because people are just reorganizing where they are. Um, and it is an, an employee's market right now. They can pick and choose where they want to live, where they want to work. The edge that government has is that call to public service. And we're looking at this next generation workforce built of millennials and Generation Z and so on that have a calling for public service. They want to they work for government. They want to work for public entities, even if it's for a short period of time. Um, and I think this is an opportunity for government to harness that calling while at the same time leverage the flexibilities that the pandemic has given them, right? Government has been so static in terms of their kind of workplace culture and what the, what the evolution has looked like. And that's been in governments all over the world. And the pandemic has given them almost an excuse to say, you know what, we can open this up and rethink what could be virtual, what 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 should be virtual and this is the opportunity for them to to pull on that next generation and say hey come work for us you support our mission why don't you put kind of the 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 backing behind it and it's a great opportunity right now and so they've proven themselves to be agile throughout the pandemic and essentially their hand was forced especially when we think about government and public health but that experience is really going to serve them well. So attract the people with public service, with the flexibility of work. But young people want to be at the cutting edge of their industry. So this is where the te technological transformation yes. comes in. And do you think that the pandemic has given more competency and confidence within government and public sector to lean more into technology uh, as, as opposed to pre-COVID, where they were more cautious and considered? The, the short answer is yes, but it's um, with a little bit of a caveat. I think government was actually doing a, a good job, better than some people realized, even before the pandemic. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to pivot the way they would have. It, it would have been even worse than, than what we saw, right? Um, obviously, there's some exceptions. There's some areas uh, around the globe where um, they were more challenged than others, right? But for the most part, they, they did a good job in kind of leading up to it. The pandemic really obviously accelerated that. And we've I think I've had several of these conversations, I'm sure you have as well, where we talk about that accelerant being the pandemic. Um, so I think it's done that. I also think one of the drivers has been that next generation talent and kind of a movement around shifting from low value to high value work. Part of that is automating these mundane processes that millennials, Generation Z have zero tolerance for. They look at this and say, I don't understand why I'm doing this. This should be automated. I should be working over here and doing this. And they're focused more on strategy and really want to be aligned to the mission, not just a, a short, low value process. So I think that's been a driver as well, because as beyond the pandemic, one of the things that they were also doing was leveraging 
that type of movement to also try to recruit top talent because they were enveloping that new technology. Um, so like I said, the short answer is yes. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that have driven that um, uh, envelopment of technology into government. Yeah, this is going to seem, you know, maybe a little bit crass, but the pandemic is kind of been serendipitous to government and public sector because they wouldn't have shifted, right? Yeah. And the challenge to attract that younger talent would have been greater. So it's almost done them a, a favor um, in, a, in a weird sort of way. But who are you looking at right now and talking to and supporting and consulting in this sector who, who are great examples of that we can look up to? Um, one of the things I do want to, uh, before I uh, answer that question, one of the things I do want to comment on and remind people that I think, I think government, I wouldn't say they wouldn't have leaned into it. I think you're seeing a lot of younger leaders coming into government too at CIO, CTO levels that really want to do these things. Sometimes they're they're hampered with with budget um, and policy. Uh, one great example is there was a municipality I was working with that when the pandemic hit, they wanted to quickly pivot over to e-signatures. Um, things as as important as um, people getting access to food right through through government services um, were were at risk, and they wanted to pivot to e-signature they had a policy or a law in place that wouldn't allow that. So they actually had to go get something passed very quickly so that they could move forward and envelop this technology. I think that those type of, of um, maybe old school ways of thinking and, and old laws and policies have really inhibited some of this growth. And now the pandemic has also allowed policymakers to take a look at those things and shift kind of where they are. And also at the same time, shift where budget is being allocated. Um, to give you an example of, of a, a government that I think is doing a really good job, in the UK, the Department for Work and Pensions, or, or DWP, it's the largest public service department in the UK, and, and they're touching about 18 million citizens there. And one of the things they're focused on, honestly, is, is driving better citizen experiences, better outcomes, and at the same time, becoming less reliant on human interaction. Because... Government also needs to keep costs down so they can provide these experiences and provide these services at a at a better rate for citizens and scale them out. So to do that, we're, we've been working with DWP at, at Genesis to roll out things like chatbots, right, or automated notifications, things that and streamline processes so that things can be taken care of without having to get a human on the phone at a contact center to do that. Um, another great way uh, to, to support in that way that governments are doing is around interoperability or, or kind of integration through, uh, through APIs. When you have like these data points connected and you can orchestrate these experiences, which is what Genesis is looking to do with these, with these customers, it's the opportunity to, to create these next level empathetic experiences, digital experiences, it, they're it's really endless. Um, so we're at an exciting point. I was having a conversation on my podcast with somebody um, in this space, and I like the way he 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 said it. He said we're kind of at a renaissance time when it comes to government technology, as they're looking to um, not only envelop new technology, but at the same time really drive delightful experiences. Looking at it as if they're a private sector entity and thinking of a citizen as a customer. Um, so I I love being in this space. It, it really is a renaissance time, a great time to be in it. So if you, as you say, can 
sideline the the policies or update them to make them more relevant to the now does that then set a whole set of you know technological uh, advances in train then for government agencies so the policy is dictating the action and it's also housing the culture and the mindset so it's reorientating the, the rule book essentially yeah, I think that's part of it at a foundational level. I mean, the other aspect of it too is everything. And I have this conversation all the time on my podcast where around digital transformation, technology is so interrelated. You really can't have a conversation around experience without talking about data and then without talking about automation and so on and so forth. You can you can move that all the way through um, from an end-to-end -end perspective. And with that, comes privacy issues, right? When you talk about citizen data, especially, um, or even employee data. So it, there's a there's very much a reason why policies don't move as quickly as technology does, right? Because there's more constraints around government than the private sector um, generally has to allow for. Um, but yeah, I think at a foundational level, when we when we are able to, um, as, a, as governments move forward, and they're able to take a look at policy and move that and align it more to what technology can facilitate, that's really what is it we're seeing happen right now and why it's why things seem to be moving so quickly. So let's talk about data and you raised it. And the big fear with government agencies is that data from their perspective contains personal information relating to citizens in Europe. Um, where and I'm in Ireland and in our jurisdiction, we are governed by GDPR. And so the nervousness around data is also in a way either providing an excuse or providing, you know, a hurdle to, you know, in, engaging and embracing technology a little bit more. But is that an out of date argument or again, is there a balance to be struck? I don't think it's an out of date argument. I would say that GDPR has really catalyzed things. Globally, I can tell you where I am in the United States, just for example, we have um, state by state uh, in California, we have something called CCPA, which is analogous to GDPR um, just for the state of California. And we've seen other states that are taking a look at this. I think, I don't think it's out of date. I actually think GDPR has catalyzed this. And we have to take a look at the industry prior to GDPR. It really was the wild, wild west, right? Where data was everywhere. And there were really no rules around what you could do with that data uh, unless you, unless you wanted to look at and police yourself and, and be, an, be an ethical company, right? Really what you could do um, was limitless and GDPR kind of put a cap on that, rightfully so. Um, I think that again, going back to what I said before, policy when it comes to government can't move as fast as technology because the thing that happens tomorrow, government generally isn't prepared for, nor are a lot of us and it's just happening. Um, great example, right? Uh, cryptocurrency or NFTs and things. It's moving so quickly. Government's just starting to take a look at this and wrap their arms around that. And part of that, they need to slow it down a little so they can ensure that they're they're protecting their their citizens, right? Ultimately, their their stakeholders. I think that that's what we're seeing is kind of them slamming the brakes a little bit, not to hinder growth, but just so they can understand it. One of the great things governments have been doing globally is the public-private partnerships, where we're not only seeing companies working with government, we're seeing company executives actually take stints in government executive roles um, so they can get in there, kind of share best practices. And at the same time, and this is what people often don't think about, 
government can also show them how they're working, what they're doing. So these these public uh, public private partnerships are allowing private sector companies to also work with government in a better way, a more meaningful way, because they understand ways to be effective with government. It sometimes it's a different language, it's a different uh, process orchestration, especially when you look at procurement and so on and so forth. So when you have people in a place of power within the private sector company, and they also understand how to facilitate these things and who to go to, um, it, it creates a, a perfect storm of uh, innovation and advancement. So you've got a great specter in terms of digital transformation and government and public sector because you live and breathe it every day through your work. And then, of course, you have the Government Huddle podcast. But talk to us a little bit more about about Genesis and what technology and support you are bringing to the sector. Yeah. So one of the things we're doing, and it's honestly one of the reasons why I joined Genesis back in December, um, we're taking a look at the citizen, right? And then pulling backwards. I think a lot of companies out there right now are saying, how do I communicate to my to my customer, which we would call a client? Because we look at customers as the people that are actually engaging with our current client. So we're creating these journey maps and looking through data and research and understanding what does an average citizen go through, through these different processes, right? If they're going to get a driver's license, what does that process look like? Is it all digital? Can it all be digital? Are there in-person pieces? Getting a passport is another great example, because as we know, there, there becomes a part of that process where you have to go somewhere, right? So how can we bridge the gap in some of these areas, work with governments to understand what's possible, what's not possible, and, and allow them to kind of streamline some of these? So we're really breaking it down to a granular level um, and doing the research there, and then looking to fold technology and partner technology into that. Really where, where Genesis is going to be is the, the purveyor of experience orchestration and allowing for, we talked about data, allowing for all of these different disparate partners of ours that facilitate these processes to work, plug into Genesis and allow us to orchestrate these processes for them and simplify it. And then we can leverage that data to be able to show how governments can streamline even uh, even to a deeper degree and provide even better value to their customers. And beyond that, one of the things that, that we're doing is taking a look at these experiences from an empathetic perspective. So how can I drive empathy through technology, which is an incredible conversation that, that I've been partaking in um, a lot these days. And it's, it's exciting because through uh, simple delivering simple outcomes, positive outcomes, leveraging things like AI, which can learn empathy and learn and understand where, where certain processes start to stagnate, right? We can start to deliver empathy at scale for governments through digital experiences without even involving human interaction, which is saving them money. It's delighting the citizen. It's providing the citizen something that we're looking at around time tax, right? I'm not wasting my time, which to me is the most valuable thing. I'm not wasting my time on things that shouldn't take as long as they do. So we're really breaking it down at, at a very, very granular level, working with our technology partners to facilitate all this and doing it. And we haven't even used this word yet, doing it in a cloud-based format. One of the reasons why we were so effective during the pandemic is governments around the world needed to be able to communicate with their citizens and allow for citizens to communicate with them. And to do that in agile fashion, the only way to do that is, is through cloud-based services. And, and that's what Genesis provides and not a lot of our competitors do. So we were able to 
work with governments to deploy these at scale through cloud-based technology with partners like Google and Amazon Web Services um, to provide them the security that they need, as well as the ability to plug into all the different um, disparate areas of, of data points that they need to, to deliver these, uh, these experiences for them, even during a pandemic, which is, which is really cool, in my opinion. So in understanding the success of introducing these technologies, is there a single like DMP data management platform that pulls in all of this data from multiple technologies that then, you know, a senior leader or a data analyst within government can read a single dash dashboard? So that's what that's what Genesis is, is building towards, is being that singular platform that all of these companies plug into. One of the one of the trends happening in, in government right now is consolidation. And it's really for multiple reasons. One is, is obvious cost savings, right? Um, but two is complexity. There's so much complexity around some of these things. We've we've operated in a decentralized fashion where each line of business per se, because government does so much, each line of business would procure a technology that's analogous to another technology already part of it. So they were doing a really good job of going through and doing their due diligence and understanding what they needed, what they didn't need to kind of reduce that complexity. And that's kind of where we, we kind of fit in is we're able to come in through data, help them understand where there's overlap, where there's fragmentation, and how we can streamline processes for them, not on, only on the, the citizen side, but on the employee side as well, which to me is just as important. Um, so we can, we can be that data platform for them to allow them to make decisions around their experiences at scale. So we started off this conversation, you did, talking about people being mm -hmm. the key driver of yeah. digital transformation. And I'm just, you're taking me through that, that journey that the government uh, agencies are going through or hopefully will go through. And now we're at the stage where I'm envisioning that those people, that talent within uh, those organizations have more time. What are they going to spend their time on or what should they spend their time on when we have technology to do the, you know, those mundane or those manual tasks? Where, where should their time be spent? In more strategic endeavors is, is the best way to put it. More, more um, endeavors aligned to the mission. When we have, when we're able to automate a process like renewing a driver's license, right? Or paying a speeding ticket or a parking ticket, that shouldn't take somebody to get on the phone to walk <laughs> through a process to pay that, right? That should just be done online. Or if you can facilitate it with an automated chatbot, now you're actually fueling a phone call with something more complex, which you're actually using critical thinking skills and, and solving this challenge. And it's not something that can be done digitally, right? It, it can be done not being in person, but it can be, it, but it, it needed to be facilitated by a human being. And that's what we're looking to do. When you can reduce those number of human interactions, like I mentioned, now you're saving the government money and you're allowing them to reinvest that money into better technology to continue that evolution, um, which is really what we're seeing. Do you think the citizen values their personalized data, obviously stored and processed um, in a way that complies with privacy legislation and good governance, but do you think that the citizen values a better experience and a personalized and tailored experience in a in a digital environment um, and they're willing to give that data over and to be used for it? Well, I mean, Joanne, I, I pose, pose this question to you. When you're taking a look at 
what services you're going to use with the private sector, right? You generally go through a, a cost-based ratio of, of risk versus reward, right? When, when I'm on Netflix and I'm giving away some of my streaming data or, or whatever I am, I'm saying, you know what, the benefit that I get from this service is worth me giving a little bit of my data. Everybody, everybody does that transaction. I think the difference is in the past, the services haven't been worth it, right? Um, which, is, which is a shame because the, one of the things we talk about too are the people that actually need the services having access. So digital equity has been something we've, we've taken a look at too. But at the end of the day, where we, we really need to get to a point where the services are available to all, right? And they're secure enough where you're not having to make that decision. And, and that's, we haven't even really touched on security. That's such an important aspect of it. It's been one of the inhibitors, honestly, of, of driving some of these services to the cloud in the past. Um, programs like FedRAMP in the US and IRAP in Australia, the G Cloud Marketplace in the UK, have really gone a long way to streamline and take some of that risk and onus off the government to allow them to deploy here. But um, when we can provide better services through these uh, cloud-based APIs, that's when you start to get to those transaction conversations where you're saying, you know what, this service is worth it. Um, and I'm getting great benefit from my government. So yeah, I will, I will give you some of this information and I'm not concerned that you're going to lose my data. Part of what we're seeing too through research is that better customer experiences drive a greater trust in government. And we, we, we know trust in government around the world is at an all-time low. So that's another reason why government is investing in, in customer experience because they want to drive trust up. They want to drive engagement up. And I think that's um, another, another trend that we're seeing, especially around experience in digital transformation. Yeah, trust and transparency is the number one currency for government in the digital. Absolutely. Now you touched on security. Let's just let's just talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, cyber warfare is alive and well. It it is almost like warfare three point zero. Um, how protected are government and public sector agencies in that space? In Ireland, in the Irish context, we had a major cyber attack to our national health service last year that essentially took nearly took everything down from an administrative point of view yeah. they could still look after patients so we're we're very much aware of it and we think about the the political situation in the world globally and it's very much on everybody's minds i know uh, president biden in the u.s um addressed a, a business audience in the last week i think it was in washington and he he appealed to them uh to that they had the capabilities and the skills to protect us uh from a from cyber attacks because they're happening every day they're happening every minute even as we're speaking, what what's what's happening in that space? I mean, I would I would say that one of the biggest areas where talent is at a premium and government isn't isn't necessarily getting it is in cybersecurity. Um, part of the challenge is the private sector can pay more, right, than the public sector. Um, so when you don't have the right people in place, it makes it very difficult. But government's been looking at technologies in, in the cybersecurity industry to allow some of the automation of some of these things at scale, which I think is great. Um, when it comes to security, when you, you take a look at the proliferation of zero trust models, which is something that government is enveloping, um, that is, I think that is really challenging the status quo around cybersecurity and government, which I think is fantastic. It's, it's well needed. But at the same time, 
a lot of that comes with cyber hygiene, right? So we talk about reskilling and, and things of that nature to, to protect. I think at the end of the day, no country is as safe as potentially they think they are. Um, even in, in the US, and this affected not only government, but private sector entities, the SolarWinds attack, where they were, I think they, they were Russian hackers that were actually behind the firewall for months and months and months before it was even captured. Um, and the scary part is that is an attack that wouldn't have even been mitigated by a zero trust model. So they, they're becoming more sophisticated. Uh, and at the same time, the, the, the number of attack vectors are increasing. So I think we're at a situation right now where it is becoming one of, if not the most important battlefields that we need to address and, and really provide technology but support. Um, and I think that that's going to be here to stay for a while, honestly. One of the things, and I just touched on private partner, private public partnerships, private private partnerships too, is you have these cybersecurity companies now that are coming together to share data and information around attacks so they can get smarter, they can patch some of the technology they have. So the government is always using the most protected version of it. I think that's that's something that that private private partnership. Um, it's something generally new over the past few years, but I think we're seeing um, great advances in what it's doing for government. And then the other thing is the legacy IT issue that government has when you're when you're operating on old legacy mainframes and things that haven't been patched and are really, if you can picture this, I mean, kind of pulled together with with duct tape and glue um, over years because they are so highly customized they are ripe for for cyber intrusion and when you can shift to the cloud and you can eliminate some of this legacy it and at the same time innovate you're getting such great value at a more secured rate um we're at a point now where it just makes too much sense to move to the cloud it was it was the number one inhibitor security was in shifting to the cloud and that's gone by the wayside um which i think is is also exciting and you're going to see more innovation driven because of it and is the cloud the number one go to kind of repository for technology now within government and public sector have they realized it's it's safe secure but it's it's got that scalability offering yeah and i think that the pandemic really forced organizations into that posture and now that they're there they're realizing oh that's it's kind of like when you're at the pool and you dip your toe in and it feels cold but once you jump in you're like oh this isn't so bad and i think we're kind of seeing that that with governments it's it's something now that's that's very much mainstream and here to stay in the government space and the future of work, we started off talking about the great resignation, but the future of work and hybrid working and remote working, do you think it's here to stay? Um, so, I mean, that's a that's a big question. I, I think unequivocally here to stay, yes. Um, what that looks like, especially in government, is certainly up for debate. Um, when I think of the future of government work, um, I think about it across three different theaters and they need to kind of coexist together. It's the work, the workplace, and then the workforce. And once you can have, and I think allowing the technology that's allowing you to facilitate that work while at the same time creating a workplace that can be anywhere um, and supporting the workforce in this endeavor. So covering all three of those theaters is something that government has been doing a good job on right now out of necessity. We'll see if they shift into um, a model that is less of necessity, more for um, honestly capability. When you have when you have a workforce that is able to work from home, um, they can potentially be more effective in certain ways. I mean, research has shown that. So 
Um, I hope it's here to stay. I think there's a version of it that will be here to stay, but at the end of the day, time will, time will tell. In our pre-chat chat, you said to me, Joanne, I could talk about these topics for hours. Oh, I could. You, you are not wrong. And honestly, yeah. you communicated in a way that is really accessible and those tangible impacts, but I cannot let you go without asking you about your podcast, The Government Hustle. What a great name. Tell me about it. So it's really, it, it kind of spawned from my passion in marketing and government. So there's so many marketers out there, in my opinion, that have really kind of fallen into more of a reactive posture. And part of that is because they, they don't understand the market they're in to a strategic degree. Um, and that, that's really what my podcast is all about, is allowing people that do business in government and then also government employees that, that want to learn more about these topics to kind of understand what's really happening from leaders in the space. So I bring on um, CIO, CTOs, um, just leaders in government to kind of talk about their programs, talk about things that keep them up at night, talk about their careers and, and understand how they navigated them. So if I'm in government, I'm just entering. If I want to get to the, where this person is, what are some things I should look at, right? And at the same time, to be able to influence the industry and hear straight from the people they're trying to affect what's important to them. How do they want to be communicated to? Um, what do they wish that the industry would stop doing, right? Um, just be really candid, um, get to know them, humanize them. One of the things I found throughout this is when I have conversations with, um, with people outside of my podcast, they'll talk about somebody as if they, they're not human beings. And really that's part of the, that's part of the whole process is to really humanize these people to help them understand, no, these are people with challenges just like you and me. And if you can help them solve these challenges, that's how business is, is won. It's not about sending emails and telephone calls and badgering them for, for weeks and months on end. It's, it's about speaking to them in a way that communicates value and partnership. And I think it's, it's been a, a way to kind of bridge that gap, right, between industry and government. And I've, I've learned a lot. Selfishly, it's been an opportunity for me to, to get in the ear of some of these uh, leaders that, that you oftentimes can't have conversations with. And um, I think I've been the um, the the kind of the bearer of of the the value more so than even my listeners. So I've selfishly enjoyed it too. Yeah, it's great to have a podcast and have these conversations because, as we were saying previously before our, our our interview, this is such a a niche area. But when you can have that conversation with like minded people who really understand the intricacies and the challenges and the language. Mm -hmm. that is wrapped around it um they do appreciate it. and can i just say you've probably experienced it too the people working in government and public sector are some of the best people that i have ever worked with so they happy. are they are lifers in yeah. their organization they are they are there for public service and greater yeah. good and they might lose their way along the way and have challenges and fight with the culture of the organization but i tell you what they, they definitely are people that stand with their backbone and go with what they believe in. And I'm sure you find that too. They're so passionate. Honestly, mm -hmm. I, I've seen, I've seen a trend where when I, when I generally ask any parting thoughts that they might have nine times out of 10 government leaders are sitting there saying, come, come to public service. You won't regret it. And, and for the various reasons why. And I think when you get people that, 
that love what they do so much and want to share it with other people, that passion really comes out in the conversations that are having. And, and they're letting them know firsthand, like they, they went through the same process. Should I, should I join government? Should I join this company? And they joined and they said it, it was the best decision I ever made. Um, so I've, I think that's something that has certainly come through um, with, these, with these leaders speaking to my listeners. So listen, where can we find the Government Huddle podcast and where can people connect with you? Because guys, he's a wealth of information. Like me, loves to create content, but it's highly valuable. So where should we signpost people at this point? I appreciate that. Um, so you can check out the podcast at governmenthuddle.com. Um, and it's available wherever podcasts are. If you're a Apple uh, or Google or Spotify person, I'm a Spotify person, but um, wherever you want to listen, it's available. Um, and then connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can you can search my name. Feel free to connect. And on Twitter, it's at Chittister AB. Would love to would love to have conversations. I, like I said, I can talk about this for hours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's fun just sitting and talking with people that that want to get smarter and can make me smarter too. So please reach out. Let's do that. Brian, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. And guys, take his advice. Go and connect with them. Have a conversation, and uh, you won't regret it. Thanks very much, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joanne. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. Thanks as always for tuning in to this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Just a reminder, this week's free resource is an invitation to our upcoming webinar, and that is Going Remote in Public Sector. I know it's a topic for conversation, not at water coolers, but on team meetings and on Zoom meetings as public sector staff really want to lean into this new world of work, the benefits, the work-life balance that it provides. So I've invited along Joanne Mangan from Grow Remote, a social enterprise that have a footprint right across the world. And she's going to answer your questions on how you can negotiate remote working and also what's in it for your employer and not just for you. So go ahead and register at publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash webinars. As always, I really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't already, I'd love if you could leave me a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to the episode as it helps me get discovered by more public sector pros. But for now, thanks for tuning in and I will talk to you on the next show. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.